Last night I started talking about the ministry of the Holy Spirit in the life of a believer. And basically I was just uh, kind of trying to give an overview. I mean in Genesis 1-2 the Holy Spirit was used to move upon the waters and start creation. And everything that God does, He does through the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is the agent that He uses to release His power. And so therefore, the Holy Spirit is absolutely essential to the life of the believer. And I, last night, just tried to show that basically the Holy Spirit is not being emphasized in the church today. I think you could see that by the response. Out of 700 and something people that were here, we had 130 or more people that came forward for the baptism of the Holy Spirit. You know, it's wonderful that that happened, but in a sense, it's, it's sad that people who are born again and love God, many of them live their whole life and really don't have that much contact with the Holy Spirit. I used David as a, as a positive example last night, how the Holy Spirit told him to drain his water pipes, you know, and because he did that when his heater went out, he didn't lose all of the, I mean, they didn't bust and it didn't destroy his home and cause a lot of damage. Well, he reminded me this morning of a negative example of not following the Holy Spirit. When Kmart tanked, the Lord told him to invest $50,000 in Kmart stock. And he called his broker. And his broker said, no way. They filed for bankruptcy. This is a loser. Don't do it. And he didn't follow the Holy Spirit. And he lost $633,000 profit within the next few months as Kmart stock went through the roof. Again, John chapter 16, verse 13 says the Holy Spirit will show you things to come. You know, if we were to really draw on the power of the Holy Spirit, God will show you what's going to happen in the world economy. He'll show you which investment to do. He'll show you what business to be a part of. The Holy Spirit, if you follow, He will give you wisdom. You know, it's very similar if you were on a mountain road or on a hilly road and, you know, you're following somebody that's real slow and they've got the, the stripe that you can't pass in that lane. You know, if you were just depending on your perspective from where you are, you might never be able to pass that tractor or whatever that's slowing you down. But if you had somebody in a plane up above that could see over the hill and around the corner and could tell you what's coming, then you know what? You could, go, you could do things that other people that don't have that perspective couldn't do. And this is what the Holy Spirit does. The Holy Spirit can see the end from the beginning. And He can tell you things and there is just no reason for us to be experiencing so much difficulty in life if we were led by the Holy Spirit. And yet a lot of people just don't understand that the Holy Spirit is available, what He's wanting to do in our life. So last night I just tried to basically uh, show that the Holy Spirit is the agent that God uses to do everything and that we ought to be dependent upon the Holy Spirit much, much more. Today, let's turn over to John chapter 20, and I want to deal with something that I think is really important, and that is that a lot of people, of course, the Bible, if you read the Bible at all, the Bible talks about the Holy Spirit from Genesis 1-2 all the way to maps. I mean, the Holy Spirit is all the way through the Bible. The Holy Spirit, uh, the book of Acts, it says the Acts of the Apostles, but it's really the Acts of the Holy Spirit. If you were to look up every time the word Holy Spirit is used in the book of Acts, it's nearly in every chapter multiple times. The Holy Spirit is just in the Word of God. There's no way to doubt this. And yet, 
it has been diluted and the impact of the ministry of the Holy Spirit has been decreased to a very large degree by a lot of religious teaching that has taught that when you got born again, you got all of the Holy Spirit that there is to get. And so it's already over and people just think, well, this is as good as it gets and they aren't expecting anything more. I want to show you from a number of scriptures today that there is a separate encounter with the Holy Spirit from salvation. You don't instantly receive or automatically receive the baptism of the Holy Spirit when you get born again. The word baptism is a religious word. You know, literally the word baptism comes from the Greek word baptizo. And the reason that they translated it baptism, they transliterated a word. They made up a word. Because at the time that the, that the Bible was translated, the King James, the, the custom of the churches were to sprinkle and it didn't fit their theology because the word baptizo means to immerse or submerge. And it would have been a major, major crisis in the body of Christ to translate that Jesus was baptized, submerged. He came up out of the water and this would have destroyed their theology. And so rather than say immerse, which would have been the literal translation. They just said baptize and they made up a word and it has become a religious word that in a sense is a code word that keeps you from understanding what it's really talking about. And it's persisted. Here we are hundreds of years later and when you use the word baptize, that's a religious phrase to a lot of people. But when it talks about being baptized in the Holy Spirit, it's just talking about being immersed, completely submerged, overwhelmed by the power of the Holy Spirit. And we use the word baptized to refer to water baptism when you first get born again. We ref you are baptized by the Holy Spirit into the body of Christ. And then there is a baptism by Jesus into the Spirit. It says in Ephesians chapter 4 that there are the doctrines, or excuse me, it's um, Hebrews chapter 6, that there are doctrines, plural, of baptism. So... When we're using the word baptism, this isn't just referring to water baptism, the initial uh, evidence that you are born again and a commitment to the Lord and follow Him in water baptism. And it's not talking about being born again, baptized into the body of Christ. There is a third baptism that is talking about baptism by the Holy Spirit. And let me share some scriptures with you here in John chapter 20. This is when Jesus, of course, had risen from the dead. He had appeared to his disciples. And um, in John chapter 20, and let me, I'm going to drop down and then I'll come back up to some other verses. But in John chapter 20, he had first of all appeared to some of his disciples and Thomas wasn't with them. So they told Thomas that Jesus was risen from the dead. And he says, I can't believe that. He says, unless I see with my eyes the print of the nails and thrust my finger into the print of the nails and put my hand into his side, I will not believe. And eight days later, Jesus, in verse 26, it says, after eight days, Jesus, uh, let's see, after eight days, again, his disciples were within and Thomas with them, then came Jesus, the doors being shut, and stood in the midst and said, Peace be unto you. Then said he to Thomas, 
Reach hither thy finger and behold my hands and reach hither thy hand and thrust it into my side and be not faithless but believing. Now remember that Jesus had appeared eight days before but he hadn't seen any of these disciples or Thomas since then. And so the very fact that he just immediately addressed what Thomas had said showed that he was God, he was risen from the dead, he knew all things and I guarantee you it arrested Thomas. And so he told Thomas, he says, all right, put your finger into the print of the nails. Put your hand into my side and look at this in verse 28. And Thomas answered and said unto him, my Lord and my God. You know, Romans chapter 10, verse nine says, if you shall confess with your mouth, the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God hath raised him from the dead, you shall be saved. That is one of the primo scriptures that explain what salvation is. It's not church attendance. It's not doing all of these things. It's believing in your heart that Jesus rose from the dead and confessing him as Lord. Here's Thomas saying, my Lord and my God. And the very fact that he was talking to him post-resurrection shows that he believed he was alive from the dead. Any way you want to slice it, this is Thomas being born again right here. Thomas confessed Jesus as Lord. So here he is, born again. And anyway, there's some other great things that are said. But back up just a few verses. After Thomas was born again, and of course this is eight days after the rest of the disciples had been born again and had confessed Jesus as their Lord and believed in their heart that he was raised from the dead. Jesus had appeared unto them in verse... um, 21, it says, Then said Jesus to them again, Peace be unto you, as my Father has sent me, even so have I sent you. And in verse 22, it says, And when he had said this, he breathed upon them and said unto them, Receive ye the Holy Ghost. Whosoever sins you remit, they are remitted, and whosoever sins you retain, they are retained. So they they were already born again. Jesus breathed on them and said, Receive you the Holy Spirit. And yet, look over in my Bible. It's on just the opposite page, Acts chapter 1. This is like 40 days later, 30 or 40 days later, right as he was being taken up into heaven. And here's what he said to his disciples in Acts chapter 1 verse 4 and being assembled together with them commanded them that they should not depart from Jerusalem but wait for the promise of the Father which saith he you have heard of me for John truly baptized with water but you shall be baptized with the Holy Ghost not many days hence. So he had already they had already been born again he had already said receive the Holy Spirit and breathed upon them and here he is about a month later, right before he leaves the earth, saying, now wait until you receive the baptism of the Holy Spirit. This is going to be the fulfillment of what John said about the one who comes after me baptizes with the Holy Ghost and with fire. And then he said in verse 6, it says, when they were, therefore were come together, they asked him saying, Lord, wilt thou at this time restore again the kingdom to Israel? There was a common belief in those days that when the Messiah came, the Old Testament scriptures like uh, Isaiah chapter 61 says, The Spirit of the Lord God is upon me, for He has anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor, to heal the brokenhearted, to preach deliverance to the captives and recovering of sight to the blind, to set at liberty them that are bruised, to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord. 
And in verse 2 or 3, it goes on to say, right after it proclaimed the acceptable year of the Lord and the day of vengeance of our God. In the Old Testament, it was all run together. The first and the second coming were not distinguished between that. And so people had interpreted that when the Messiah came, he was going to do all the things that Jesus did. Plus, he was going to bring the vengeance of the Lord. He was going to establish the kingdom on earth. He was going to put down the Roman rule. And they were expecting Jesus to establish his kingdom. And they didn't have the understanding that we now have that his first advent came and brought salvation. And then there's this church age and there's a future fulfillment when Jesus will come back and fulfill all the rest of those prophecies about what he would do. And so this is what they're referring to. And he was about to leave. And so they're saying, well, is it now? Are you going to establish the kingdom now? And he said in verse 7, he says, it is not for you to know the times or the seasons which the Father hath put in his own hand, but you shall receive power. After that, the Holy Ghost is come upon you and you shall be witnesses unto me both in Jerusalem and in Judea and unto Samaria and, and unto the uttermost parts of the earth. The Lord is saying, you know what? That is not under your authority, your power. You don't know when the second coming is and anybody who tries to tell you that they know is wrong. Jesus even said he didn't know. That was something that was retained by the Father only. But here are some things that are under your power. You are going to receive power, authority, when the Holy Spirit comes upon you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and under the uttermost parts of the earth. And he said you are going to receive power after the Holy Spirit comes upon you. Not before, but after. Now, put all of this together. They had already confessed him as Lord. They were born again. He had already said, receive the Holy Spirit and breathed upon them. And there's a lot of debate about this. I'm not actually sure technically how all of this works. Wendell uh, teaches that you get the Holy Spirit when you're born again. And then the baptism of the Holy Spirit is a second experience. I'm not sure. I might tend to say that the Holy Spirit is with you when you're born again. You can't be born again without the Holy Spirit. And he's with you. But Jesus said this in John chapter 14, that the Holy Spirit has been with you and he shall be in you. Technically, I don't know which way it is. And it really doesn't matter because it, we aren't denying the involvement of the Holy Spirit in the life of a believer so technically, whether he's just with you or if he's already in you, I don't know and it really doesn't matter. The point is that there is still another experience where you receive power from the Holy Spirit. And it's very clear. They were born again. He had already said, receive the Holy Spirit. And yet, right before he left, now don't go anywhere. Don't do anything until you receive power from on high and then you shall be with my witnesses. And brothers and sisters, let me just make a statement here. This is a strong statement. It's going to rub some people the wrong way, but it's true. This is the exact reason that the church isn't having the influence in the world that God intended for us to is because we get people who are born again, their sins are forgiven, but they're powerless. They have no power to be a witness. They don't have any power. Because they haven't received the Holy Spirit. You receive power after the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And as a whole, the vast majority of the body of Christ does not embrace and teach a separate experience where you receive power from on high. And because of it, they don't have any power. They're saved and stuck. 
You know, I can tell you my own personal experience was I got born again when I was eight years old. The first time that God really nailed me over sin. Not the first time I'd sinned, but the first time the Holy Spirit really convicted me and I knew I had sinned. I repented within a couple of days. I got born again. And my life was changed. And it, in the third grade, I was made fun of the next day for being a Christian. My friends could tell that something was wrong. And they said, what's happened to you? And I said, I got saved. And they made fun of me in the third grade for being a Christian. I mean, there was a change in my life. I was saved. But I became saved and stuck. I had no power. My dad died when I was 12 years old. I prayed for him to be healed for six months. He wasn't healed. He died. My grandmother, who raised me, died when I was eight years old. And uh, I prayed for her to be healed. And she wasn't healed. And I prayed for a lot of people to be healed. I prayed for all kinds of things. And I never saw any power of God. I believed if God was God, he could do anything. But I'd wish and hope and pray and nothing would ever come of it. And then I received the baptism of the Holy Spirit. And I mean instantly, my life changed. I started having power. I started witnessing to everything that moved and didn't move. I mean, my life was transformed. It is my personal testimony that I was saved for 10 years. And if I would have been arrested for being a Christian, there wouldn't have been enough evidence to convict me. Matter of fact, my best friend back in my grade school days and junior high days, he uh, saw me on television and about four years ago came out and was so thrilled to meet me. And we got to visiting and he had been born again and I met his wife and I heard his testimony and the guy had been through terrible things and been in a, uh, was it a mental institution or a detox center or something like this because he was an alcoholic and God had just saved his life and he was gloriously saved and he was so thrilled and he gave me his testimony and he says, so when did you guys get saved? I said, when I was eight. <laughs> he says, eight, you mean you were saved and you didn't tell me about it? And you know what? My friends, even my best friends didn't know I was saved. There wasn't any power in my life. But boy, when I got the baptism of the Holy Spirit at 18, it lit a fire under me that still burns. It has never gone out. It absolutely changed my life. And I have seen so many people like this. Jamie's sister and brother-in-law, of course, we've been married for 37 years in October. And I've, I, I knew David and, and Glenna before I married Jamie. So I've known them probably for 40 years. I heard David's first sermon he ever preached. It was pitiful. I remember as a kid listening to that. And so we've been friends with them and have known them and we've always gotten along fairly good. And I mean, it's been a good relationship, but they were Baptist and they were not going to receive the baptism of the Holy Spirit. And they had everything when they got born again and they didn't need anything else. And you know what? It has not been a close fellowship because we just, uh, it wasn't close. We've always loved them, but it wasn't close. Did you know last November... They came to my meeting in Dallas, Fort Worth. Both of them received the baptism of the Holy Spirit and spoke in tongues. And it's a brand new relationship. We were talking to them yesterday on the phone and told them we loved them and say, oh, we love you. And man, they, they both gotten kicked out of their Baptist church, had to leave. And you know what? I tell you what, when people receive the baptism of the Holy Spirit, it changes you. It makes a difference. That's my personal testimony. That's my testimony of people that I know. And if you were to go back and look at any person who God has mightily used, they've had a dramatic 
second encounter with the Lord beyond just the forgiveness of their sins to where they were empowered with the Holy Spirit. And I'm telling you, this is why so many Christians, they're saved and stuck. If they were to die, they would go to heaven, but they aren't making any visible manifestation of God in their life. They aren't impacting other people. Nobody wants what they've got. They go knock on the door and they look like they've been sick, sipping, sucking persimmons or prunes. They say, don't you want to be like me? And they say, no, slam the door. But you know, in the Bible, people received the baptism of the Holy Spirit and they had to cut holes in the roof and let the sick down. And man, they changed the world. And people said, are these men that have turned the world upside down come here also? I tell you what, people made a difference because they had power in their life. Because they had a relationship with the Holy Spirit. Because the Holy Spirit was taught that there is a second experience. The baptism of the Holy Spirit where you receive the baptism of the Holy Spirit and fire. And it changes people. It makes a difference in their life. And that's the way that it was in Scripture. And that's what the Word is teaching. Let's turn over to the 8th chapter of the book of Acts. In Acts chapter 8, we find an instance where Philip had gone down and administered to the city of Samaria. And, you know, Philip is one of the deacons in the 6th chapter that was chosen to serve the church. And it's one of the requirements of the deacons in Acts chapter 6, I believe it's verse 3, says that they must be filled with the Holy Spirit. Now see, today, that's a terminology that some people think, oh, I got filled with the Holy Spirit when I'm born again. No, you didn't. And even people who've been filled with the Holy Spirit, you have to continue to be filled with the Holy Spirit. I was at one of Catherine Kuhlman's meetings one time and she got up and there was 4,000 people in there and all of these people were giving their testimonies about I was baptized in the Holy Spirit 20 years ago and I've spoken tongues and I've done this. And uh, Catherine Kuhlman got up and she looked at all these preachers and she says, you were baptized with the Holy Spirit 20 years ago, 30 years ago, 10 years ago and you haven't been full of the Holy Ghost a day since. And that's how she started her message. And I tell you what, it scared me. And I wasn't even sitting on the platform. But you know, it's true. You can't just receive the Holy Spirit 20 years ago. Yes, that's access to the power of God. But you've got to learn to cooperate. It's a daily walk. You need to become dependent upon the Holy Spirit. You need to get to where you expect the Holy Spirit to guide you every moment. And when He tells you to invest in Kmart stock and your your broker says, don't do it. We ought to listen to the Holy Spirit more than men. And yet most of us are more moved by what the news has to say about this economy than we are what the Word of God has to say and the Holy Spirit has to say. Most of us are more moved by what the doctor has to say than what the Word has to say. The Holy Spirit, I guarantee you, isn't telling you anything about fear. He isn't preaching defeat to you. Man, the Holy Spirit's the power of God. Nothing bothers the Holy Spirit. Cancer's no problem, man. Cancer's not any harder than a cold. Somebody, oh, I can't believe you said that. It's because I've been listening to the Holy Spirit. There's no problem with these things. But see, if you listen to man, they put sicknesses in categories and certain things God could handle, other things God, oh, this is terminal. Man, that's crazy. Philip had been preaching the gospel, baptized in the Holy Spirit, and he went down and saw the entire city of Samaria, Samaria nearly to the last person. 
turned to the Lord. And even this man named Bar-Jesus, or is that right? Am I get the right story? Simon. I think anyway, this man Simon, he was a sorcerer and he had beguiled the people and he had done these things. And even Simon turned to the Lord. I mean, the whole city turned to the Lord. And so it says here in Acts chapter 8, in verse 12, but when they believed Philip preaching the things concerning the kingdom of God in the name of Jesus Christ, they were baptized, both men and women. Then Simon himself believed also. And when he was baptized, this time at water baptism, he continued with Philip and wondered, beholding the miracles and signs which were done. Again, I made this point last night, but people who believe in the baptism of the Holy Spirit and follow it and flow in it see miracles. People who don't believe in the Holy Spirit don't see miracles. It's just across the board. You go to any church that preaches that, that miracles have passed away and that they don't happen today, and I guarantee you they will not believe in the baptism of the Holy Spirit. You go to a church that believes that miracles happen today and sees them happen, and every one of them will believe in the baptism of the Holy Spirit and the gift of speaking in tongues. There's no exceptions to that. People that don't believe in the Holy Spirit don't get miracles. People that do believe in the Holy Spirit do get miracles. There's, it doesn't take a rocket scientist to put, connect those dots and recognize that the Holy Spirit is the key to seeing the miraculous power of God in your life. And here's Philip who is filled with the Holy Spirit and the entire city was converted because they saw the miracles and signs and wonders. In verse 14, it says, Now when the apostles which were at Jerusalem heard that Samaria had received the word of God, they sent unto them Peter and John, who when they were come down, prayed for them that they might receive the Holy Spirit. Now the previous verses made it very clear that they had already believed and been baptized. Later in this same chapter, I won't take time to turn over there, but Philip was uh, led to go down into the desert and he found the Ethiopian eunuch who was returning from Jerusalem. He was a proselyte to Judaism and he had been worshiping in Jerusalem and he was going down in a chariot and he was reading the scripture. And the Lord, the Spirit, told Philip to go join himself under this man's chariot. So he just ran up and started talking to this guy and the man said, come up into my chariot. And he says, what are you reading? And he says, I'm reading the Bible. What passage are you reading? Well, he was reading from Isaiah chapter 53, where it says, he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace was upon him. And with his stripes, we are healed. And the Ethiopian eunuch says, was, he ta was the prophet talking about himself or of somebody else? What a setup. What a setup. One of the primo scriptures in the Bible talking about Jesus and his crucifixion. I mean, was this the Holy Spirit or what? He was in a great revival in Samaria and the Lord said, go down into the desert and leave a revival. But it was God, the Holy Spirit led him. See, when you're led of the Holy Spirit, supernatural luck happens. <laughs> the world calls it luck or chance or circumstance, but there's no chance to it. Man, the Holy Spirit, if you will follow the Holy Spirit, he'll make you look good. And he went down and joined himself and the guy said, who is this talking about? It's like, man, you open up a door so wide you could drive a truck through it. And he says, man, Jesus. And he told this man, this, this Ethiopian eunuch says, man, I believe Jesus is the Messiah. Here's water. What keeps me from being baptized? 
And Philip said, if you believe with all of your heart, you may be. Water baptism does not save you. Water baptism is a result, a, a proof or an action that you do to show that you've already been saved. And Philip made that very clear. If you believe with all of your heart, then you can be baptized. So now take that, this same man, Philip, was in Samaria, and he water baptized all of these people. So to be consistent with this same man, that means that he had already told them, you can't be baptized unless you're already saved, unless you've believed with your whole heart. So the fact that they believed and were baptized shows that they were already Christians, they were already born again, and yet here's Peter and John coming down praying for them that they would receive the Holy Spirit. How does that square with the theology that you've already got all of the Holy Spirit when you get born again? See, it doesn't square. The Word of God shows you that there is a second encounter with the Holy Spirit apart from salvation where power and, and might comes upon you. Fire comes into you. And I tell you, there are some people that just don't have any fire in them. They may be forgiven, but man, their wood is wet. There's no fire. Amen. They prayed with them that they would receive the Holy Spirit. And in verse 16, it says, For as yet he was fallen upon none of them, only they were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. Then laid they their hands on them that they might receive the Holy, Holy Ghost. And so this makes it very clear that there is a distinction between being born again and receiving the baptism of the Holy Spirit. And if you have been under the teaching that, well, I got all of this when I was saved, well, then it's hindering you from pursuing the Lord and, and receiving the fullness of the Holy Spirit. They are not synonymous. It doesn't have to be separated by a large period of time because look in the 10th chapter, and I'm going to summarize some of this, but in the 10th chapter of the book of Acts is where a man named Cornelius, who is a, a Roman centurion, and Cornelius was not a Christian or not a, well, he wasn't a Jew. He wasn't a part of the Jewish nation, but he was worshiping God. There's always been people outside of the Jewish nation in the Old Testament who worship God and serve God. But anyway, he was seeking God and an angel appeared unto him and told him to send men to Joppa and inquire for Simon and that Simon would come and tell him the words that he needed to believe to be saved. Now, this is a separate point, and I'm not going to emphasize this a lot, but I just need to point this out, that this goes all the way back to Acts chapter 1, verse 8, when the Lord said, You shall receive power after the Holy Spirit has come upon, me, upon you, and you shall be witnesses. God only gave the authority and power to be a witness to people. Angels can't preach the gospel. They don't have that power. You have been empowered and I can guarantee you this angel that appeared to Cornelius knew that Jesus was the Christ and he knew how to tell Cornelius to be saved, but he didn't. He had to send for a man. Why? Because God follows his own rules and his own regulations. He set it down. He gave us power to be authority. I mean, the authority to be witnesses. And if you are in your prayer closet praying that somebody be saved and if you aren't witnessing to them, nothing is going to happen. Thank you for that thunderous silence. The church basically is not taking our authority and going out and being bold and witnessing. Instead, we're just in our prayer closet. Oh, God, save these people. Oh, God, move. God, 
It, you don't have to beg God to save somebody as if God has to be impressed. If it wasn't for the great intercessors, God wouldn't do anything. God loves people more than we love people. The Lord loved the world so much that he gave his only begotten son, but he has given authority, power to us to be witnesses, and you have to witness. These signs follow them that believe. You've got to go out and do something. People are in their prayer closet saying, oh God, just pour out your power. Let there be revival. You don't get revival by praying for it. You get revival by going out and acting on the word of God. And these signs follow you. You know, in just the last 24, well, in the last 12 hours, we've seen two or three deaf people healed. We've had cancer healed, the pain left. Uh, I, don't, I forget all of the other things. We had a lot of miracles last night. There was one woman down here that was jumping up and down and running in place who had come in on a scooter. And she was running and jumping and God has healed her. And we've seen miracles. And I guarantee you, people's faith have been quickened. And there is revival taking place right here. And I'm saying this in humility, admitting that it's God. But you know what? It wouldn't have happened if I hadn't come here and had a meeting. And if these people hadn't have been praying. And if we hadn't have done something. I could have stayed in Colorado and have prayed. Oh God, move in Boston. And nothing would have happened if somebody hadn't have come and have spoken the word. And have taken their authority and done things. You don't have... The power of God is not released by you just getting in your prayer closet and praying. The power of God is released by you taking your authority. And this is the reason that the angel had to send for a man and bring a man to preach the gospel. Angels aren't going to do it for you. God's not going to do it for you. You can't do it without him. He will not do it without you. It's a combination. His power working through you. You need to be anointed. And if you want to see a person saved, then go witness to him. And pray for wisdom that God will show you how to do it and what to say and give you an opportunity. I'm not saying that you don't pray, but I'm saying prayer is not going to change them. It's going to be you taking your authority and going out and flowing in the power of the Holy Spirit. And today we've got a whole movement in the body of Christ where prayer has been elevated to a place it was never supposed to be. You aren't supposed to just sit there and pray and ask God to do what he told you to do. He told you to go preach the gospel. He said, these signs will follow you. And people are in their prayer closet. Oh God, pour out your spirit. Let there be miracles. Save people. But you wouldn't talk to them for nothing because they might criticize you and say you're a fanatic. That's wrong. That's wrong. The angels sent, had Cornelius send men to Joppa. They got Peter and the Holy Spirit gave him a vision and in a trance showed him things. You don't have visions and you don't have trances and you don't have miraculous things like what happened here in the 10th chapter without the baptism of the Holy Spirit. You can't get into the spirit realm. You can get into the demonic spirit realm without the Holy Spirit, but you can't get into the spirit of God realm without the baptism of the Holy Spirit. It makes you spiritually dull and non-perceptive if you don't have the baptism of the Holy Spirit. And so Peter was praying and uh, the Holy Spirit showed him these things. He went with Cornelius' people and when he came and preached to them, of course, this was against the Jewish law at that time. They hadn't understood that God was going to accept Gentiles into the body of Christ. They thought it was a totally Jewish thing. And here a Gentile was. 
And God had supernaturally told him to go preach the gospel. And as he was sharing the gospel with Cornelius, the Holy Spirit fell upon them and they received it and spoke in tongues. And Peter says, man, they've got to be born again because you can't speak in tongues until you've already been born again. This is only for those who have received salvation. So the very fact that they were speaking in tongues proved that they had already opened up their heart and that they were born again. And in the 11th chapter, when the church at Jerusalem heard about the Gentiles receiving salvation, they were upset and they called uh, Peter in and as he defended what he had done, he told him about the vision, but he said the very fact that they spoke in tongues and God gave them the same gift that he gave us to prove that they had received the Holy Spirit. Who was I to withstand God? And the church finally said, well, it must be true. The Gentiles now can receive salvation. And all of this was centered over the baptism of the Holy Spirit. The reason I'm bringing this up in the 10th chapter, it shows you that they receive salvation and the baptism of the Holy Spirit nearly simultaneously. I'm not saying that there has to be a huge separation between being born again and receiving the baptism of the Holy Spirit. As you saw last night, we had a dozen people pray to receive salvation and then immediately we prayed with them to receive the Holy Spirit. I'm not saying it has to be separated by days, months, or years, but there is a separate experience with the Holy Spirit that is different than just being born again. When you get born again is when your spirit gets changed and you are now identical to Jesus in your spirit. But Jesus never did a single miracle until the Holy Spirit came upon him. And Jesus isn't going to flow through you until the Holy Spirit comes upon you. Jesus cannot operate independent of the Holy Spirit. They are so one. They are so united that if you aren't yielding to the Holy Spirit, then you aren't yielding to Jesus. They don't operate independent of each other. They're the Godhead, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And you've got to embrace all three parts of it, all three manifestations of God. And so the Holy Spirit is an essential. It doesn't have to be a long separation in between them, but as evidenced here, but there is a separate experience. Here's another scripture that confirms this in Acts chapter 19. Here's another instance. In the 19th chapter of the book of Acts, in verse 1, And it came to pass that while Apollos was at Corinth, Paul, having passed through the upper coast, came to Ephesus, and finding certain disciples, he said unto them, Have you received the Holy Ghost since you believed? Now this is an amazing question. If Paul would have been raised in one of the cemeteries of our day, I mean seminaries of our day, he wouldn't have asked this question because, of course, you've got the Holy Spirit when you got born again. But no, here he is asking people who were disciples. And some people say, well, they were disciples of the Pharisees. Let me ask you this. Why would Paul ask a Pharisee, a disciple of the Pharisees, if they had received the Holy Spirit? They hadn't even received Jesus. That would be a stupid question. That would be like, why, why would I go up here to... a person who is anti-Christian, anti-God, atheist, and say, have you received the Holy Spirit? <laughs> no, they haven't received the Holy Spirit. It's obvious they haven't received the Holy Spirit. The very fact that he talked to people who were disciples and said, have you received the Holy Spirit since you believe? It proves that there were Baptists all the way back in the Bible. Amen. <laughs> 
That's a joke. Don't get mad at me. I'm not, I'm not against Baptist. I was a Baptist. I got born again as a Baptist. But I'm saying that there were people back then who believed in only getting your sins forgiven and they did not believe in the baptism of the Holy Spirit. And they said, Here, here's their answer. It says, we have not so much as heard whether there be any Holy Ghost. Does that sound familiar? You know, on television and in my meetings, I have people come and say, I've been a Christian for 20 and 30 years and I never knew these things. I never heard this stuff. That's a shame. We have such a watered down version of Christianity in our world today. This is the reason that the world as a whole is rejecting Christianity. They aren't really rejecting God and they aren't rejecting true Christianity. They're rejecting the watered down religion that passes for Christianity today. But you know what? The world loves to see a fire. People will follow a fire engine. Everybody wants to look. You know what? If you'd catch on fire from God, the world come watch you burn. Amen. If you receive the baptism of the Holy Spirit in the fire, I guarantee you, you'll still draw a crowd today. You know, I can stand to be persecuted, but I can't stand to be ignored. If I'm being ignored, that's because I'm not flowing in the power of the Holy Spirit. Jesus didn't always have a revival. Sometimes he'd have a riot, but he always got a response. (laughs) If you really flow in the power of the Holy Spirit, you'll either have a revival or a riot, but never indifference. If people at your workplace don't even know that you are a Christian, you don't agitate anybody or convert anybody, then you aren't flowing in the power of the Holy Spirit. You can't guarantee that everybody's going to respond positively, but if you truly are flowing in the power of the Holy Spirit, there will be response, either positive or negative. And so he asked him if they had received the Holy Spirit and said, we hadn't even heard if there be any Holy Ghost. And he said unto them, unto what then were you baptized? In other words, well, when you got born again, you were baptized. How did they baptize you? Did they baptize you in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit? How did you get baptized without hearing about the Holy Spirit? And and they answered and said unto him, unto John's baptism. And I could spend a long time explaining this, but it talked in the first verse about Apollos. Apollos was a person who heard through John that Jesus was the Messiah. If you remember, John the Baptist looked at Jesus and said, Behold the Lamb of God that takes away the sins of the world. And he sent people after Jesus and said, He must increase and I must decrease. And he proclaimed Jesus as the Messiah. And so John announced Jesus as the Messiah. Apollos was a person that had John's baptism. John baptized with water too. And he was baptized and raised up under the ministry of John the Baptist, proclaiming that Jesus was coming and that Jesus was going to be the Christ. But he, apparently, Apollos just got out and started proclaiming that Jesus was the Messiah. I'm sure he heard about the crucifixion, and so he pronounced that Jesus had been crucified and resurrected. And he was leading people to the Lord, but he wasn't sharing with them about the baptism of the Holy Spirit. John didn't know about it because the baptism of the Holy Spirit didn't happen until Acts chapter 2 on the day of Pentecost. And so Apollos was a person who had only a portion of the message that Jesus was the Christ, but he didn't have the full message about the baptism of the Holy Spirit. And when Paul encountered some of his disciples, he says, 
Under what were you baptized? Under John's baptism, because they had been brought up under Apollos. And then in verse 4, it says, Then Paul, then said Paul, John verily baptized with the baptism of repentance, saying unto the people that they should believe in him which should come after him, that is, on Christ Jesus. When they heard this, they were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. And when Paul had laid hands upon them, the Holy Ghost came on them, and they spake with tongues and prophesied. And so here again proves that there were people who were disciples, but they did not know. They hadn't even heard about the ministry of the Holy Spirit. That's just like the majority of Christians in the United States today who have heard that Jesus died for their sins, but they haven't heard that the baptism of the Holy Spirit in fire will empower you and give you supernatural ability. And now you'll be able to lay hands on the sick and they'll recover. You'll be able to prophesy. You can say things that you can't know by your natural mind. You know, I called out all kinds of healing and most of you left before that was done last night. But last night I was operating in the gifts of the Holy Spirit and saying things that I can't know by just my natural mind. I was saying it by the Spirit of God and it was true. I was calling out people that had this and I was specific with some of them saying that some of you have been told that you have lost years off of your life because of this thing. And the doctors have told you that. And a man stood up and said, that's me. Exactly. And you know what? I've actually been led before I've called out people. I said, your name is, and I've told them their name. Jesus did that. He saw Zacchaeus up in a tree and he said, Zacchaeus, come down. He'd never meant Zacchaeus. He didn't know him. The Holy Spirit will give you people's names. The Holy Spirit will tell you things. The Holy Spirit will tell you to turn off your water, to buy this stock. The Holy Spirit will speak to you and show you things. You have supernatural ability. There is no reason that we ought to live as mere human beings. And yet I have people come all the time and they're bas- they, they phrase it differently, but they're basically saying, but I'm only human. The doctors have said I'm going to die and I've got cancer. What can I do? Get baptized in the Holy Ghost and get power and quit being only human. One third of you becomes wall-to-wall Holy Ghost. You now have the same power that raised Jesus from the dead living on the inside of you. You have the ability to know things that you can't know with just your little peanut brain. You can get it out of your spirit, man. The Holy Spirit gives you power and ability. And brothers and sisters, if we would just start realizing what we have and appreciate it, I guarantee you the Holy Spirit wants to do so much more in our lives than what most of us are allowing Him to do. You would never feel totally powerless. There's a process. You've got to learn how to yield to the Holy Spirit and how to distinguish the Holy Spirit from your own spirit and your, your uh, own thoughts. And there's a process in these things. But I guarantee you the Holy Spirit gives you supernatural ability that most Christians are living without. And even if you've been baptized in the Holy Spirit, you have to be filled with the Holy Spirit. Look in the fourth chapter of the book of Acts. And in the fourth chapter of Acts, of course, if you're familiar with the book of Acts, in Acts chapter 2 is when the Holy Spirit came on the day of Pentecost and they were filled with the Holy Spirit and they began to speak with other tongues. And uh, 3,000 people were born again. And in the fourth chapter is when they saw 5,000 people born again. And they had just been beaten and released from the scribes and the Pharisees. They had beaten the main elders the apostles, because they were preaching this gospel. And so in the fourth chapter, they uh, turned and went back 
to the group of believers and they begin to pray a prayer. And uh, where is his prayer here in the fourth chapter? Somebody said 23, somebody said 29. And being let go, they went into their own company and reported all that the chief priests and elders had said unto them. And when they had heard that, they lifted up their voice to God and with one accord and said. And they began to pray this prayer and look at this and down in verse 20, uh, 29. Here's the end of the prayer. And now, Lord, behold their threatenings and grant unto thy servants that with all boldness they may speak thy word. Notice how they spoke the word. The next verse says, By stretching forth your hand to heal, and that signs and wonders may be done by the name of thy holy child Jesus. You know how they spoke the word? They didn't just preach it. They demonstrated it. They did it. They saw miracles happen. And in verse 31, And when they had prayed, the place was shaken where they were assembled together, and they were all filled with the Holy Ghost and spake the word of God with boldness. Now they had already been filled with the Holy Spirit in Acts chapter 2. But here they are again, the same people being filled with the Holy Spirit. That shows you that it's not just a one-time experience. There is a one-time beginning. I believe that you need an encounter. And when you have a true encounter with the Holy Spirit, and when you run up a white flag and surrender and turn your life over, it's dramatic. And it makes such a difference that you'll never get over it. I believe that there is an experience where your relationship with the Holy Spirit begins, but it's not just a one-time thing. It has to be lived and appropriated on a daily basis. And this is where a lot of people miss it. They have received the baptism of the Holy Spirit, and the way that it's presented sometimes today, it's presented as speaking in tongues is just something you do to prove that you've got the Holy Spirit. And so people will pursue the Lord until they say a few syllables in another language and get a goosebump running up and down their spine and they say, I got it. And that's the last time they speak in tongues. Man, the baptism of the Holy Spirit in speaking in tongues is much, much more than just a proof that you've got it. As a matter of fact, tonight, I think I'm going to minister on what speaking in tongues will do and why speaking in tongues is important and how you can use it. And most Christians don't have a clue what speaking in tongues is about. They just think that it's something that proves that I've got the Holy Spirit. And the moment they speak in tongues and they get the satisfaction that, man, I've got the Holy Spirit, that's it. Boy, if that's the way you're responding to it, you're missing it. Speaking in tongues, Paul said in 1 Corinthians chapter 14, I speak with tongues more than you all. Talking to the whole Corinthian church. There was hundreds of people. And he says, I speak in tongues more than all of you put together. That's a lot. And he was rebuking them for the way that they came together and just spoke in tongues. And they never had anybody speak in a known language. They were just all speaking in tongues. So there was a lot of speaking in tongues. And he says, I speak in tongues more than all of it. Paul spoke in tongues a lot. It wasn't something he did just one time to verify that he had received the Holy Spirit. But it, it is a tool. It's a gift. And you'll hear many people today preach and say, well, it's the least gift based on 1 Corinthians chapter 12, 13, 14. And they'll say it's the least gift. And the Bible does say that you ought to rather want to prophesy than just to speak in tongues. But let me make this point that, man, if it's a gift from God, it's worth receiving. And if it's the least gift, then how are you going to do the greater things if you haven't even received the lesser things? That's like me saying, I can jump from here to the front row, but I can't jump to the back 
If I can't do that, or excuse me, I said that wrong. That's like me saying I can't jump from here to the front row, but I can jump from here to the back. If I can't do that which is least, I can't do that which is greatest. If you haven't received the least gift, then how are you going to go on to other things such as the gift of faith and the gifts of healing and the gift of miracles and all of these other things? Man, the baptism of the Holy Spirit and speaking in tongues, it is a powerful, powerful gift. And even though it may not be as great as some, it is a powerful gift and nothing to be shunned. You shouldn't sit there and look down your nose at it. Matter of fact, some people will cite 1 Corinthians and say the Corinthian church was so carnal. In 1 Corinthians chapter 5, there was incest in the church and it wasn't being dealt with. They had these meetings where people were getting drunk at the Lord's Supper and 1 Corinthians chapter 11, and people were just speaking in tongues. And those things are true. And there was carnality in the church. And so some people will say, see, this speaking in tongues is a carnal thing. It doesn't help you. And yet the apostle Paul, who rebuked them and told them there's a right way to use this gift and a wrong way to use it, he said in 1 Corinthians 14, 39, I think it is, he says, forbid not to speak in tongues. He did not take the same path that people who speak against it today and say, well, this shows that it's carnal and therefore we shouldn't even speak in it. No, he says, forbid not to speak in tongues. It's a direct command. And yet there are entire denominations today that forbid people to speak in tongues and say it's of the devil. Isaiah chapter five, verse 20 says, woe unto them that call evil good and good evil and bitter sweet. And what does all that say? One to them that call evil good and good evil that put darkness for light and light for darkness that put bitter for sweet and sweet for bitter. That's where we live today. People are saying, speaking in tongues is of the devil. It's not of the devil, it's of God. In the Bible, nobody spoke in tongues except the people that were baptized in the Holy Spirit. If speaking in tongues is of the devil, tell me why you can't go into a bar. Why can't you go into a prostitute and hear them speaking in tongues? Why don't you ever see the devil's crowd speaking in tongues? They don't speak in tongues. Speaking in tongues is not of the devil. Saying that speaking in tongues is of the devil is of the devil. Amen. Speaking in tongues is a gift that comes from God. Amen. It's amazing. It's amazing. Jesus went about doing good. Acts chapter 10, verse 38. How's it? Jesus of Nazareth went about doing good, healing all that were oppressed of the devil, not oppressed of God. And yet the church today, much of it is saying, God doesn't do those kind of things. They passed away with the apostles. If you are praying for healing and things like this, you're of the devil. Again, the devil doesn't go around healing people. It's the supernatural power of God. Jesus did that which was good and healed those that were oppressed of the devil, not oppressed of God. Man, let me just quickly do this. I'm going to do this quickly in the name of Jesus. Look at 1 Corinthians chapter 13. The only scriptures I've ever heard used effectively to show that the baptism of the Holy Spirit, speaking in tongues, miracles, don't operate today as 1 Corinthians chapter 13. And I can take these very verses and prove the exact opposite of this. This isn't saying that miracles have passed away, that speaking in tongues isn't for us today. But that's what some people teach from these verses. 
It says in verse 8, 1 Corinthians 13, 8, charity never, never fails. That's talking about God's kind of love never fails. But whether there be prophecies, they shall fail. Whether there be tongues, they shall cease. Whether there be knowledge, it shall vanish away. For we know in part and we prophesy in part. Some people have taken this to say, see this right here says that uh, prophecies are going to fail. Tongues are going to cease. And they say that there was coming a time that these were only used to establish the church. But as soon as the word of God was written, then that's what's perfect is coming. We now no longer need miracles. Man, I could def- uh, come against that from a number of different ways. But let me just use this exact context right here to show. It says uh, that at the same time that prophecies fail and tongues cease, it says knowledge shall vanish away. Has knowledge vanished away? Matter of fact, there's prophecy that in the end time, knowledge will increase. Knowledge hadn't passed away. We're seeing, you know, I've heard these statistics that it took like a thousand years for the cumulative knowledge of man to increase. And then it began to start increasing faster and faster. And then it was down to a hundred years. And now it's like every five to 10 years, the cumulative knowledge of mankind doubles every five to 10 years. Just look at communications. Man, we're using cell phones now. Back when I was a kid, man, we had phones that you had to call Mabel and say, would you connect me with so-and-so? And and you had to wait on two and three rings and you certainly, it was unheard of to think that you could take a phone and carry it with you without a cord. And now we've got everything on our cell phone. It's amazing how knowledge has increased. This says that at the same time that prophecies fail, that tongue cease, that knowledge is going to vanish away. And then in verse um, 16, it says, but when that which is perfect is come, then that which is in part shall be done away. Some people say that which is perfect is talking about the word of God. Even though I believe the word of God is perfect, that's not what this is talking about because as you continue to read in verse uh, 11, it says, when I was a child, I spake as a child, I understood as a child, I thought as a child, but when I became a man, I put away childish things. But now, for now we see through a glass darkly, but then, what is the then? When that which is perfect has come in context. Now we see through a glass darkly, but then face to face, talking about when we are uh, in heaven, when we see the Lord, either when we, uh, when the Lord comes back and takes us and we get a glorified body, then we're going to see him face to face. Now I know in part, but then shall I know even as also I am known. When that which is perfect is come, we're going to see God face to face. When that which is perfect is come, I'm going to know all things, even as also I'm known. You can prove you don't know all things yet. You can prove that you haven't seen God face to face. So you can prove that that which is perfect hasn't come yet. Prophecies haven't ceased. Tongues haven't ceased. Instead of this saying that these things have passed away, this is a proof that until that which is perfect is come, which is talking about a glorified body and we are now in the presence of God, you are going to still need prophecy, speaking in tongues and knowledge. Instead of this proving that they've ceased, it proves that they cannot cease until that which is perfect, your glorified body comes. The purpose of speaking in tongues, Romans chapter 8, is to help our infirmity when we don't know how to pray as we ought. It allows you to pray from your spirit, not pray from your head. It allows you to bypass the confusion. 
and the problems that you have. And as long as we are in this physical body, we still need speaking in tongues. We still need the power of the Holy Spirit. When we become perfected and we know all things as, as we know, then we won't have any limitations in our language. We'll be able to express ourselves perfectly and there won't be speaking in tongues in heaven. You won't need it because you'll know all things. You won't need to pray in some understanding that supersedes your physical mind because your mind will know all things. You'll be totally renewed. But until then, you need the baptism of the Holy Spirit. You need to be speaking in tongues. This is for us today. It is not something that has passed away. And if you were to go back and study church history, in our Bible school we have a book entitled 2,000 Years of Charismatic History. And it goes back and shows that throughout history, the baptism of the Holy Spirit speaking in tongues has always, always existed. There have been entire groups of people who have spoken in tongues. It has been consistent. It is not a modern phenomena. You can trace it right back to the day of Pentecost. And the people in the Bible receive the baptism of the Holy Spirit. We are the abnormal ones today. Our church situation to where the majority of people in the body of Christ, and that's just in America. Outside of America, the majority of Christians outside of America do speak in tongues. The Pentecostal or Spirit-filled charismatic movement has outstripped any other missions program. And if you go to Africa... I go to Africa, I guarantee you, you can't spit without hitting somebody who's speaking in tongues. They have, I mean, there is a tremendous revival. They are estimating within the next five years, Africa will be the most Christianized nation on the face of the earth. Brazil has had a tremendous move of God and it's all spirit-filled people. Outside of the United States, the baptism of the Holy Spirit in speaking in tongues is dominant. Our religious culture here today hasn't embraced it and it hinders it, but I'm telling you that the baptism of the Holy Spirit, speaking in tongues and the other gifts of the Holy Spirit are one of the most important things. And if you could learn to flow with it and in it, it would set you free. Miracles would happen. You would see transformation not only in your own life, but in other people. Man, you could set this, this area on fire if everybody in here was to start flowing in the power of the Holy Spirit and having words of wisdom and words of knowledge. A friend of mine went into a 7-Eleven and just walked into the lady there and says, God shows me and just read her mail and told her things about her that nobody could know. Never seen her before and she was just shocked. He says, can I pray with you? And man, she received, get born again. Every one of us have the ability to do stuff like that. I was in a restaurant one time and a waitress was waiting on us and she was very nice. There was nothing wrong with this waitress, but I just felt in my heart that, boy, this woman is hurting. And, you know, when you go out with preachers that are baptized in the Holy Ghost and have a revelation on giving, you got to fight them to pay for the ticket. I've actually had people, I've been holding on to the bill and they drug me out of my chair and across the floor before trying to pay for the ticket. So anyway, I acted like I was going to go to the bathroom. What I did was get up and I go found that waitress and I asked her what the bill was and I paid her for it. And anyway, a few minutes, she came running back to the table and she says, you made a mistake. You, you wanted to give me a $5 tip. You gave me a $50 tip. And she said, here's your money back. And I said, no, God told me that you needed that. I just felt in my heart that, man, you were really hurting and God wants you to know that he loves you. And I just wanted to give you a $50 tip for a $20 meal. 
And this woman just broke down and started crying. And she says, man, I'm working three jobs. My husband died. I've got kids. And she sat down. We got to lead this lady to the Lord. Got her baptized in the Holy Spirit. It was cheap. I spend a lot more money than that trying to reach people. That was a great way to do it. But you know, here I'm saying is that the Holy Spirit will show you things about people. The Holy Spirit will show you to just go up and tell this person that you love them. I called a person one time and just said, I love you. They started crying. They said, you'll never know how that was God. I was just with a man, Sunday, who is the music leader at Grace Church in Tulsa. And I was there and he came up and he said, five years ago, I think it was, he and his wife had had a very bad experience. He'd been a music leader at a church and they had gotten out and they thought they're never going to go back into the ministry and their life was just in shambles. And he came up at one of my meetings to get prayer. And he said, I listened to you and the 10 people in front of me, you came and said, what's your problem? And I asked them questions and interacted with them that way. As soon as I walked in front of him, I just stopped and said, you're called into the ministry. You need to be in ministry. And he says, that was totally different than everything else. And he says, man, we were wondering about, had God forgotten about us? And he says, man, that changed our lives. And here he was five years later saying, that was God. That was God spoke to us. And he says, that preserved us and kept us through all the things we've been going. And now here he is back in ministry and leading uh, the music in that church. You know, that's what the Holy Spirit will do. The Holy Spirit will show you things to come. He'll lead you. He'll guide you. Brothers and sisters, if all you are is only human, you're fighting with both hands tied behind your back. You aren't only human. You're born again. God lives on the inside of you, but you've got to yield to the Holy Spirit. And you need to expect something other than just human results. Don't limit yourself to this economy. Don't limit yourself to what the doctor says. Don't limit yourself to what your parents said about you and the curses that they placed on you. Man, recognize that you become a brand new person and now you have the life of God on the inside of you and praise God, you ought to be living a supernatural life. And all of that is available to you through the Holy Spirit. It doesn't come automatically It is a separate experience. I've given you about four or five instances here that show that there is a clear distinction between being born again and being baptized with the Holy Ghost and with fire. And man, you need to receive that. Is there anybody here today who has never received this baptism of the Holy Spirit and fire? You don't have this gift of speaking in tongues. Is there anybody here like that today? Here's some hands over here. Anybody else? Here's others. You know, we had like 130, 50 people last night, but I know that there's new people and I would like to minister to you and help you to receive that. If that's you, if you raised your hand or if you were supposed to raise your hand but didn't do it, just get up out of your seat and come forward and we're going to pray for you and we're going to help you to receive the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. Praise the Lord. Just face me and stand along here. If you would, don't stand behind each other, but spread out because we're going to have other people come stand behind you and lay hands on you. And it'll help us if you just kind of get in side by side here. Praise the Lord. Isn't this great? 
I tell you, this is going to change your life. This changed my life. It's awesome. If you don't have the baptism of the Holy Spirit and speaking in tongues, it's like charging hell with a water pistol. You need power. And man, the Holy Ghost is going to give you a high-pressured hose, amen. I mean, you are going to see power come into your life and it's going to make a difference. It It doesn't just automatically, instantly change you, but it starts the process. And as you learn to yield to the Holy Spirit, I guarantee you it's going to change your life. Before I can pray with you to receive the baptism of the Holy Spirit, you must first of all be born again. I showed that a number of times today. So is there anybody up here who's not absolutely certain that you're born again? Maybe you go to church. Maybe you think, well, I've joined this church. Isn't that enough? No. You must be born again. Sitting in a church won't make you a Christian any more than sitting in a garage and make you a car. (laughs) If you're a car, get in a garage for your own protection. If you're a Christian, go to church. But going to church doesn't make you a Christian. You have to make Jesus your personal Lord. Is there anybody here who's not done that or you aren't sure about it? Maybe you aren't sure and you want to pray. You've got to, I've got to pray with you first. Here's a couple of people. Anybody else? Here's another one. A couple of more. I'm not trying to talk you out of your faith in the Lord. You just got to be sure. And there's so many people today that think, well, I try and be good. Isn't that enough? No. You must be born again. Anybody else? The Bible says that when you become a Christian, you know that you've passed from death unto life. You have a witness in yourself. Anybody else? Here's another one. Praise the Lord. Here's another one down here. So, Let me pray with the six of you. And what I'm going to do is, first of all, lead you in a prayer that is going to say what you need to say. It's not magic. It doesn't just automatically work. You have to believe it. But if you will believe the words that I lead you in saying, then you'll be born again. That's what the Bible says. If you'll confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart, God raised him from the dead, you shall be saved. So I want you to repeat this prayer after me. And I'd like to ask everybody in here to pray this prayer with me so that they won't feel like we're just listening to them. And if you will say these words and believe them in your heart, I believe you'll be born again. Is that a good deal? Jesus has already died for your sins and he's actually already forgiven you, but you have to receive that forgiveness and make him your Lord. There's no question about will he do it. It's only will you believe and receive. Y'all going to believe? Let's everybody pray this. Say, Father, I'm sorry for my sin. I believe Jesus died to forgive my sin. And I receive that forgiveness. Jesus, I make you my Lord. I believe that you are alive. That you now live in me. I am saved. I am forgiven. Right now. In the name of Jesus. Amen. You believe that? Welcome to the family. Amen. You know what, right now, if you were a woman, you're still a woman. If you were a man, you're still a man. If you were short, you're still short. You may not see change on the outside, but on the inside, you have just become a brand new person. And now you need to receive the power of the Holy Spirit to release this new life on the inside of you. And so the scripture says in 1 Corinthians chapter 3 and chapter 6 that you are, when you get born again, you are the temple of the Holy Spirit. He created you 
to fill with the Holy Spirit. He's, that's what He made you for. He won't deny you the Holy Spirit. He wants you to have the Holy Spirit more than you want to have Him. This is the way that God wants to release His life in you. So we don't have to beg God and, and plead. And some churches teach that you have to be holy enough to get the Holy Spirit. But if you could get holy without the Holy Spirit, you wouldn't need the Holy Spirit. The very fact that you have problems in your life and that you aren't holy makes you a prime candidate. Amen. He wants to fill you. So don't let any feeling of unworthiness and I don't deserve it stop you. God doesn't give the Holy Spirit to you because you deserve it. He gives it to you because He loves you and He wants to empower you to live a godly life. So we aren't going to beg. We're just going to ask one time for the power of the Holy Spirit to come into your life. And then I've got our prayer ministers. I'd like to ask them to come up here and they're going to lay hands on you. Because the Bible says through the laying on of hands, the Holy Spirit could be released. We read that today in Acts chapter 8, that the apostles came down and laid hands on them and they received the Holy Spirit. So I'm going to lead you in asking. They are going to lay hands on you and release this power of the Holy Spirit into your life. And then I want you to start thanking God. Quit asking and start thinking. Thanking. You've got to ask, but you've also got to go beyond that into believing that you receive. So we're going to ask. They're going to lay hands on you. And then I want you to start praising God. And the Bible says that when you lift up your hands, you are praising God. This blesses God. So after we pray and stuff, I want you to lift your hands and start thanking God that you have received the Holy Spirit. And then those of us that know how to pray in tongues are going to speak in tongues. And as we start speaking in tongues, you join in with us. And I know you still don't understand. Some of you may think, well, I don't know how to speak in tongues. What do I say? You can try and say what you hear the person behind you saying, but their tongue's going to be different than your tongue. God will give you a unique tongue to you. But you've got to talk. He's not going to take your mouth and make it move. And this is where a lot of people, they just wait on God to speak through them. You know, if I would have stood up here today and said, oh God, speak through me. And then I just go, waiting on God to make me talk, nothing would have happened. He didn't take my mouth and make it talk. That's the reason it came out in Texan. I spoke, but I believe God inspired it. It's the same thing when you speak in tongues. He's not going to make you talk. You start speaking and believe it's God. And over a period of time, you'll have it proven to you that it's God. It's just flowing out of you. It's the Holy Spirit giving you an ability to communicate in a language that bypasses your mind and talks directly from your spirit. It's a powerful thing. And I've got a book that I'll give you that will help explain it. Is everybody ready what we're going to do? The Bible says believers will speak with new tongues. I want you to say, I'm a believer. I will speak with new tongues. Amen. Father, I thank you for all of these and I thank you that now we are the temple of the Holy Spirit. And so, Father, we believe that you created us to fill with your Holy Spirit. We just open up the doors of this temple and Holy Spirit, we welcome you to come into our life. We want you to come into our life. We desire it. We ask, believing that you're a good God and that you want this more than we want it. Father, just come fill us right now with the power of your Holy Spirit. Give us these gifts. One, I'm speaking in tongues. Father, give us the power and the anointing of the Holy Spirit. We just agree and receive it. Right now, we lay hands on you and say, receive the Holy Spirit. In the name of Jesus, we loose this power and this anointing to flow into you right now in Jesus' name. 
Oh, that's the power and the anointing of the Holy Spirit right here just flowing into you. Father, we thank you for filling us. Now, let's put your hands up and start thanking God. You know, just like when somebody sticks a gun in your back and you go, I surrender. I want you to surrender. Yield. Thank you, Father, for giving us the Holy Spirit. Thank you that we are God-possessed. Thank you that we have the anointing and the power of the Holy Spirit flowing in our lives right now. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Hallelujah. Now, those of you who know how to pray in tongues, let's just pray in tongues right now. Speak out in tongues. And as we speak in tongues, you speak with us. If you don't know what to say, you can try and say what you hear the person behind you saying, but yours is going to be different. Just start and don't stop. Just speak. You may not understand what's happening, but what's going on is you're bypassing the limitations of your brain. And you're talking out of your born-again spirit that knows all things. You are communicating in a language that doesn't have any reservations or any hindrances, no unbelief in it. You're praising God in a heavenly language. Praise God. Just be bold and speak out right now. Thank you, Jesus. Hallelujah. You got to open your mouth to pray in tongues. Amen. Boy, many of these people are praying in tongues. Thank you, Jesus. You know, you don't understand what's happening, but I tell you, it's powerful. There, your spirit is finally beginning to communicate with God without the reservations and the hindrances of your mind. You're bypassing the blockage and releasing the power of God right out of your spirit. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Father. Father, we agree and we receive. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Hallelujah. Boy, many, many, many of these are praying in tongues. Let me have your attention here for just a moment, if you would. You know, whether you spoke in tongues or not, I believe that God gave you the Holy Spirit. He says, if you ask, He'll give. But you need to go ahead and speak in tongues to get the full benefit of this. When I first prayed for the baptism of the Holy Spirit, I didn't speak in tongues, but that's because I was a Baptist. And I had a lot of fear about it and a lot of confusion and wrong teaching. And it took a while for me to search the scriptures, get my questions answered, and finally arrive at a place that I believe that this was a godly gift. And uh, I've written all of those things that I had trouble with down in the scriptures. Uh, I've written them in a book. And I'd like to give every one of you a book. And those of you who got born again today, that also includes being born again. And this book will help you. What's happened to you right now, whether you feel anything or not, this is very important. It could change your life. This could jumpstart you and release power in your life like you have never had before. But you've got to understand what's happening and you've got to learn how to cooperate and yield. And so this book will help you. And I'd like to give every one of you a book. This is very important. And we want you to get the maximum benefit out of what we're doing, okay? So, uh, Samantha, are you the one? This is Samantha right here, the one with her Bible up. And we've got a prayer room right over there where we've got our books. And if you would, go with her. We want to give every one of you a book. And also, if any of you have any questions, if you didn't speak in tongues and want someone to just help you, you want to speak in tongues right now, you can go with her. They'll give you the book. 
They'll pray with you. They'll answer your questions, whatever they can do. So just please take a few moments and go get this. We'll release you. We aren't asking for anything. We're just wanting to give you a book. Amen. Let's praise God for all of these as they go. Isn't this great? Thank you, Jesus. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. Praise the Lord. Looks like you need a healing. You know what? As you pray in tongues, it's going to loose the power of God. And they'll pray with you in there too. But we want you to get that book. It's really important that you get that. Thank you, Jesus. You know, I had a woman come up one time in Dallas, Texas. And there were people standing around just like this. And uh, I was giving instructions about how we were going to pray for them. And this woman had a person with her that was doing sign language. And I realized that she was deaf. And I said, well, man, you need to receive the baptism of the Holy Ghost and get power in use. And, and I was explaining all this to her. And so we prayed and her ears just opened up. And first time in her life, she had never heard. She was deaf from birth. And when she, she started praying in tongues first, she had never been able to talk because she couldn't hear. And she started praying in tongues and then boom, her ears opened up. And then there was a little boy there that was eight years old and he had never heard. And his mother brought him up after seeing this lady heal. And she says, would you pray for my son? And I said, well, I will, but I'll tell you this. He's never heard before. So even when his ears open up, he's not going to know how to talk. You're going to have to teach him how to talk because he's never talked. And that woman started crying and she thought all of this was a hoax. And she said, God, if this is real, then when my son is healed, I know he's going to have to learn how to talk. I want you to have that man say it. If he's really of God, I want him to tell me that I've still got to teach him how to talk. And I said all of that before I prayed for, you know what? Because of the Holy Ghost. And this woman started crying and man, her son got healed and we saw great things happen. I tell you, the baptism of the Holy Spirit is awesome. It's awesome. Are there any of you here today that need prayer? We saw great miracles happen last night, and I know that there's others. If you would like prayer, I just want to get you to come forward. These are our prayer ministers. Many of these are Bible college graduates. They're all people that have gone through a training with Melinda, the lady right here that's the head of our prayer ministry, and they know how to pray in faith and to take their authority and flow in the Holy Spirit. So if you want prayer, please come forward right now and let one of our prayer ministers pray with you. We've got people standing at the aisles that are going to direct you towards one of our prayer ministers so that you won't all just get in front of one person. But come forward and pray and we're going to see great miracles happen. The rest of you, if you'd wait just a few moments and let these come forward. And then I'll, let me remind you that we have CDs and DVDs of last night and this morning already duplicated. They're out there and you can pick those up. Uh, we are going to be here praying with people. And if you want to stay and pray with us, last night we saw a lot of miracles. We had people jumping up and down who weren't able to uh, walk before and there's some great things that happen. So you're welcome to stay and pray with us. If you need to be dismissed, you're free to be dismissed. Remember that we'll be back tonight at 7 o'clock. 
And tonight I'm going to talk about speaking in tongues and tell you what it's really about. Most people don't understand how to interpret your tongue. This will change your life. This has been a major, major deal in my life. This will help you. So come back and bring somebody that needs to hear that. Amen. Praise God. You're dismissed. Thank you, Jesus. Father, we love you and we just thank you, Father, that you've already provided healing. We thank you that the power and the anointing of the Holy Spirit is present to heal. You know, that's a word from God. Mark chapter 2, I believe it is, says that the power of God was present to heal. The power of God is present today to heal. Here's the anointing of the Holy Spirit flowing in this place. People are being healed right now. There's people here that have had problems with your elbow. You haven't been able to straighten your arm out without pain. And you've been unable to do certain things because you've hurt your elbow. Who's that? If this is you, I want you to stand. And if you're already standing, raise your hand. I want to see who I'm praying.